Welcome to the Faith Dialogue Podcast with your host, Pastor Ken Baer. Are you ready to swim in the deep end of the Bible pool or climb to the top of Faith Mountain? If so, open the eyes that see, those ears that hear, and a heart that is receptive. Get your cup of coffee and your Bible as we begin. Hi friends, this is Pastor Ken Bear. Hey, we have a treat for you today. We have a guest preacher. He's a friend of mine. His name is Daniel Staten. So give him a listen. Well, our sermon title this morning is a prayer for discernment and devotion. Uh, the very things that Paul is going to pray for the Colossians. For skilled craftsmen, one of the ways that they train apprentices is to have the apprentice start off by watching the craftsman work. I worked as a custodian while I was in seminary at uh, the Louisville Slugger Museum and Factory. That's where they make baseball bats for amateurs all the way to Major League Baseball players. And they have a tour there where you get to tour the factory. And one of the parts of the tour is that they show you the old way of uh, chiseling out the bats by hand. So the tour guides, when they're learning this, they, have to, they all have to learn how to do this because one tour guide will be giving the tour and then the other one will be showing how they lathe, uh, use the lathe to make the bats. So while I was cleaning one day, I got to see them train uh, the tour guides how to use the bats. And the first thing they did, the very first thing they did, is have all the new tour guides gather around and watch as someone was uh, carving that bat. And when you uh, witness and observe someone doing something like that, when you observe a craftsman, you pick up on things. You pick up on the way that they're holding their tools. Uh, you pick up on maybe slight uh, things like the speed at which they work, or maybe some different methods that they use while they're crafting. You pick up on all those things that you wouldn't get if they just handed you a list of step one, step two, step three. You pick up on these little things by watching someone do that by watching someone do their job well. We can learn much from watching and listening a seasoned person practice their craft. And we can learn more about prayer from watching and listening and hearing the prayers in scripture, the prayers that the apostles prayed, the, the prayer that the apostle Paul prays. What was his focus? Who did he pray for? How often did he pray? We can, we can see these little intricacies when we hear him praying. And this morning we get to read one of Paul's prayers. Paul's prayer for the Colossians that was preserved for us in Scripture. And Paul tells the Colossians how he has been praying for them. And he tells them the things that he's been praying for them about. So we read in Colossians 1, starting in verse 9. In Colossians 1, starting in verse 9, it says, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit and increasing in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience, with joy giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved Son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. And Paul started off this letter to the Colossians with encouragement to the Colossian church. In verses uh, 3 to 8, he talks about how they don't need to doubt the gospel they heard from Epaphras, who was the one that brought the gospel to them and probably planted the church. They don't need to doubt that gospel. 
They were practicing faith and love, and it was all grounded in biblical hope of what God was doing for them and what God had waiting for them. The report Paul had was good and encouraging. But does Paul hear that and think to himself, great, they're doing well, I can take my focus on that, I got a lot of other churches that are on fire that I need to go pray for, they're doing fine, uh, I, can, I can ignore them for now. Does Paul think that way? No. Look here, it says he prays all the more for the Colossians, not ceasing in prayer, even though they're doing well. Why? Often we can see prayer as alarm bells that are dusty during the year, but when there's uh, a fire or a tornado or a hurricane, they shake off their cobwebs and come alive again. A lot of our prayers can fall into what I call the help me's category. That we're only coming to God when there's a problem. And don't misunderstand here, those are good prayers. Those are good prayers um, when there's an issue or a problem or you know, we're called in scripture to pray for those who are sick. Jesus himself says, cast your worries and iniquities on him. Cast your worries and anxieties on him. But Paul's instructing you as you read this prayer for this church. He's praying for them when things are going well too. They're strong in the faith. They're centered on Christ and that's precisely how Paul wants them to stay. And if they're gonna stay, they're gonna need prayer. If they're going to stay on that path, they're going to need prayer. So he prays for them ceaselessly, that they would continue to practice all the things that he heard in the encouraging uh, report from Epaphras, that they would continue to do those things. And notice how much of this prayer that he's going to give uh, borrows from verses 3 to 8 in Colossians 1. He talks in both about bearing fruit and increasing, about giving thanks, about having understanding. The church is doing well, and Paul prays that God would continue to grow them that he would continue to be kind to them. He would continue to show, show grace to them. He prays that God would fill them with spiritual understanding. The Colossians are being pressured by spiritual leaders and false teachers and the culture around them. They're being pressured all the time. To, that's basically the message is, sums up as, you have this, but you need something extra. You need some special knowledge that, oh, by the way, only I as the false teacher have, so you need to come study under me because I'm awesome. Um, that's what the, the pressure that the Colossians are, are feeling all the time. These people saying, you need to add this onto your faith. You need to add that onto your faith. And Paul says, no, these false teachers aren't the source of knowledge about God. They don't have extra knowledge about God. The source of knowledge about God is, is God. That's where we get knowledge about God from, from God himself. God reveals to us more about himself. God grows us in knowledge about Christ, about Jesus. And one of the foremost ways that God has done that, one of the precious gifts that God has done that is he's revealed himself to you in his word. And he's given that to you as a gift. He's said, Here, here's the, uh, the avenue of more knowledge about me. Read it and take it um, to heart. So why does Paul want them to be filled with the knowledge of God? Is it so that they can show off that they have more knowledge than everybody else around them? So that they can go and say, God loves us so much that he gave us extra knowledge. He filled us up with knowledge because we're so great. He loves us so much. Is that what he wants? That they will be puffed up and proud? No, of course that's not what Paul wants. The heart of why Paul, what Paul prays for here is for them to be filled with wisdom and understanding so that they can humbly walk in a manner worthy of God, bearing fruit in their good works as a result of the wisdom that God has given them. The knowledge of God is, is never for its own sake. 
You don't learn more about God just to learn something interesting for trivia night or to say, oh, cool, I know that God says this, that's cool, I know more about God. You learn that, in or you learn more about God in order to put your faith into practice. In order to obey Christ and follow him, to be a better follower of Christ, you learn more about Jesus in order to follow Jesus better. Wisdom is knowledge acted upon. So you gain this knowledge about God, and that changes how you live and how you act. You act on that knowledge. Um, there was a, there's a joke that I was wrestling with whether to include this or not, because it's pretty cheesy, but I think it illustrates this point well of, of wisdom being knowledge that's acted upon. It goes this way. Knowledge, knowing something about, uh, knowing a, a fact about something, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. That's knowledge. Wisdom is not putting a tomato in a smoothie. That's wisdom. That's knowledge acted upon. What you know about the fruit changes how you use it, changes how you uh, relate to it. So Paul prays that the knowledge of God would fill them, and they would grow in pleasing God. They would grow in conforming to Jesus' image. And as they grow to be more like Christ, as they grow in their faithfulness and knowledge of God, they would naturally grow in their experience of God. Their experience of who God is. That's the second increase of knowledge Paul's talking about, that they would grow in their knowledge of God, bear fruit and good works, and increase in the knowledge of God. That's the experiential knowledge of God that you get from being in unity with God, in unity with Jesus. And a, a good way to illustrate this is uh, you can learn about a friend and you can write down details on a piece of paper, but that, you know that's not the same thing as the knowledge of a friend sitting face to face with them sharing a meal. That's experiential knowledge. You learn about them, but you want the experience of sitting with them together, fellowshipping, talking to them, sharing your life together. That's the goal Paul has in mind of increasing in the knowledge of God. You learn more about God and his teachings. That changes how you relate to God, how you obey Christ. And as a result of that, you get more and more of the presence of God. You would experience him more personally. So then Paul asks that they would be strengthened with all power, according to his glorious might. The road of faith is not easy, and you and I need help every step of the way. When your faith is doing well and when it isn't, you need God's aid to strengthen you. You cannot follow Jesus without this daily help. The old, song, or the old uh, hymn, I need thee every hour. In joy or pain, I need thee. So the, though the church is doing well, Paul prays that they would continually be strengthened so they can press on year after year in their faith and in doing good works. And by way of encouragement, he reminds them of how they're going to be strengthened. Now, with all power. What power is he talking about that they're going to be strengthened with? That's the power that rose, that, that rose Jesus from the grave. That's the power of God that knitted the universe together. That causes something to come from nothing. The power that causes storms to be stilled in an instant. That's the power that will strengthen you. That's the power that you need to be faithful in this life. That's the power that Paul is praying about. And Paul asks all of this for the purpose that the Colossians would uh, endure and have patience. Constantly they're pushed on all sides from a culture and from false teachers saying, think differently, add this onto your faith, compromise with us. And they're going to need to patiently endure this. These people aren't going away. They're going to need to endure that and be faithful to Christ day after 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 day. They're going to need endurance and patience. Faith is a long and winding journey.
It's not just one moment of our lives, like that one choice, that's faith, and then everything else we go, go along. It's a long road. It's like John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. John Bunyan wrote uh, a couple hundred years ago of this allegorical story of a man called Christian, and he was going on this journey to the celestial city, which is the kingdom of God, heaven. And he, all he has to do, all, all, uh, all Christian has to do is stay on the road. But along the road, there are temptations and trials and dangers and people trying to get him to get off the road, go to the side of the road, or even just go turn around and go back home. All along his way, he's beset by that, but he stays focused because he wants to get to the celestial city. If we're going to make it to the end, we need Jesus every moment strengthening us along that road. Paul moves on to ask that they would be a thankful church, a church full of thanksgiving with joy. With all the struggles and the difficulties that we just talked about that faith has, it would be easy to say, well, that, that life is difficult and hard, and, and, and uh, as you're walking it, you're sad and morose and discouraged and depressed. But no, Paul says the Christian is joyful, is joyful throughout the journey and thankful as he's walking along this road. Why? Because of the hope that's yours. That's why we're thankful, despite the dangers and temptations, because of what God has done, is doing, and will do in your life. You have every reason to spend the rest of the day writing down the ways that God has been gracious to you and given gifts to you and given you a future and a hope. Paul has encouraged the Colossian church so much in the opening of this letter. He's praying for them that they would continue in their faith despite pressures and negative influences trying to get them to go off on another side. He's saying that they would rejoice with joy. And now Paul is going to pivot in this letter and say exactly why thanksgiving should overflow at this church despite difficult circumstances. They give thanks to God the Father. Why? Because he has qualified us to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. Through no goodness of our own or no work that they had done, God had chosen to just be exceedingly generous and gracious to the Colossians. To take a group of rebellious and wicked people like the Colossians, like us, that God chose to graciously take them, bring them into his own house, and make them sons instead of enemies. That's the grace of God. That's the grace of God that we are thankful for. How awesome is our God that he showed love and generosity to enemies and made them friends. This is the hope that lets us thankfully endure when life is difficult. God has made you sons and daughters. He's given you a permanent place in his kingdom and at his table that cannot be taken away from you. Letting you be united with him forever, that's the promise that you have. And he did all of this, as the scriptures say, while we were still enemies. When we were enemies and hostile to God, not seeking after God, that's when Jesus said, I'm going to take on flesh. I'm going to take on their burdens and sins and iniquities. I'll pay the price, becoming the sinner so that they can become an heir. That's when God decided to be gracious. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And by faith in Jesus, you can have an unfading, secure hope that cannot be stolen from you, cannot fade away. That God will give you rest and joy and peace forever in his kingdom. If you're following Jesus, notice this here um, in Colossians. If you're following Jesus, you're no longer living, as Paul says in verse 13. 
You are no longer living under the dominion, the domain of darkness, dominated by sin and darkness. That's not your life anymore. But God has chosen to lift you out of that. The domain that you were trapped in, the domain of darkness, God's chosen to raise you out of that and transfer you over to now your kingdom is the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what you belong to. That's the kingdom that you live in now where you will rule with Christ in unending joy. And this reminds us of the Exodus. Back in the uh, second book of the Bible, the Exodus, the, the people of um, Israel were stuck. God's people were stuck under bondage to Egypt, a bondage they could not free themselves from. They were stuck in it. They were trapped. But God chose out of his love and his mercy and his grace to reach down to them and by his power alone bring them out of Egypt across the sea and into the promised land. And that is a shadow, that, that forecasts what was to come in Christ. That now in Christ, we who were stuck in bondage to sin and death, that was the domain we belonged to. God chose to come down through Christ's sacrifice, lift us out of that domain, and bring us over into the kingdom of his beloved Son. How awesome is God that he would do this? How gracious and loving has he been to us? Our sins are washed away and we are redeemed through Christ alone. Do you see that there in verse 14? Through him we have redemption. Through him alone we have forgiveness of sins. And through Jesus, our sins have been taken further from us, as the psalmist says, than the unending distance of the east to the west. If you go east, you keep going east in infinity. You never, go, you never start going west. That's the beauty of how far our sins have been taken from us because of what Christ has done. This is the goodness that God has worked in your life. This is the source of your thanksgiving and joy while you walk a difficult road of faith. So now, you've witnessed Paul praying. You've learned that prayer is an indispensable practice when things are going well and when they aren't. At all times, we'd be praying. And always uh, strikes me when I read uh, prayers in Scripture, Many of my own prayers can be very superficial, they can be very surface level physical things or things that are very temporary. That can be the focus of a lot of my prayers and not that those are bad, again, we want to bring everything to God. We want to be praying at all times, but it strikes me and catches my eye when I read the New Testament letters, the prayers that the apostles have in there, how the core focus is spiritual health and development and growth and unity with Jesus. That's what they're concerned about. Paul is much more concerned. His main focus for the Colossians is that they would be united with Christ, growing in their faith, practicing love. He cares more about that than their financial security or their health, although he does care about those things. His main focus is their spiritual development, that they would grow in the knowledge of God being filled with spiritual wisdom. So this teaches us something more about prayer. We bring all things to God. But we should never neglect praying for our spiritual needs, that God would continue to be kind and grow us in faith, give us wisdom and understanding for a difficult walk of life. And this has taught us, if we were to pray when things are good and pray when things are bad, this has taught us to pray often, pray all the time. Bring everything before God our Father. And pray for others that they would grow and be strengthened in wisdom, that they would grow in their love of Jesus. So, we've watched Paul, a skilled craftsman of prayer. We've watched him and we were starting to pick up things. 
great lessons along the way of how he prays and what he's focused on for the Colossians. That we need discernment to stay focused on Christ, wisdom to see Christ as center to everything that we do and to grow in him. That we need to be devoted in thanksgiving, which fuels us in a difficult walk of life, but we're thankful because the more wisdom we have, the more we realize how incomprehensibly kind Christ has been to us. So would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for um, getting to learn. You've been listening to Faith Dialogue with Pastor Ken Baer, recorded live at Celebrate Seniors, a ministry of Faith Dialogue. You can listen to or watch all of the recordings at Faith Dialogue by going to www.faithdialogue.org.